welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Oh, man. Good to sing with you guys. Good to be here. I'm Micah, by the way, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. We are in a series on the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn there. Colossians chapter 3. We've got a couple weeks left, uh, two including today, and then um, we're going to be headed towards a series called Wells and Fences, which I'm very excited about. Um, and today, I have to be, I'm going to give you a Surgeon General's warning here this morning. You're going to need your thinking caps for this morning. Um, so find them. If you came to church without them, don't do that. Just don't do that. Stephen, can you flip the house lights on for me, buddy? There we go. I like to see the faces. There we are. Um, so, yeah, you're going to need your thinking caps, and I'm, I'm probably going to be a little more measured than I normally am, which may come off as a little boring. Um, that, maybe that's what Jenna was talking to, but th- like what we're doing today is so important, so I'm going to try to choose my words very carefully, all right? Are you guys ready for this? Okay. I want to begin with a reminder to you as your pastor. In chapter 1, Paul starts this letter, and he reminds these people, like, why he's writing to them. Why he, this apostle, and by the way, this church could be traced back to his work as an apostle. And so he writes to them and says, He is the one we proclaim, Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we, so that I, Paul the apostle, may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously, you know, do what I do, Paul says. This is why I'm writing to you. I was with my spiritual director this last week, and he read a quote uh, from a a mystic, a 12th century mystic, and I was like, that's it. That's what I want. That's what I hope for. That's what I pray for. That's what I so strenuously contend with all of my energy that this church and you all would be doing and and becoming. So I'm going to read it to you. This is a truth bomb. This is so good. If then you are wise, you will show yourself to be a reservoir rather than a canal. For a canal spreads abroad water as it receives it, but a reservoir waits until it is filled before overflowing and thus communicates without loss to itself its superabundant water. In the church at present, we have many canals and few reservoirs. Bernard of Clairvaux, 12th century. I pray, I hope, I long that you, as the body of Christ, as the people of faith in this church, get that what we're after is not canals, where we give away as fast as we receive, because it's just transactional. You're just a body in use. Rather, that we would become reservoirs, that we would experience the trickling and the infilling of God's love and of his hope and of his forgiveness and of his mercy, that we would let it settle in, that it would become a part of who we are and then become a blessing. That you would choose with intention the latter, not the former. That we would become reservoirs. That's why I'm here. That's why I do what I do. That's why I consider it an honor to be a pastor And to be a part of equipping and training and teaching. Not that we would be canals. Not that it would leave as fast as it comes. But rather that it would take root. That it would become a part of who we are. That it would be the air that we breathe. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're after. So, if you get nothing out of today, get that. But I think there's more. Here we go. Colossians chapter 3. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. 
and then we will dive in. Starting in verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Notice no mention of mothers. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will, be, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord you are serving, and anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favor- favoritism. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we take a few moments to direct our attention and our minds and our hearts towards this word, I pray that it would be alive to us, that it would um, grow in us and change us and uh, transform us, I pray. Uh, I'd invite you to pray this prayer with me uh, as we go to studying scripture. Lord, inspire us to read your scriptures and meditate upon them day and night. We beg you to give us real understanding of what we need, that we in turn may put its precepts into practice. Yet we know that understanding and good intentions are worthless unless rooted in your graceful love. So we ask that the words of scriptures may also be not just signs on a page, but channels of grace into our hearts. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Okay, we've got our work cut out for us this morning. I thought about entitling this, this sermon, Patriarchy and Slavery, but I thought that was a little too straightforward. So in my wisdom, I've changed the title. I'm calling this... Um, Normative or the backdrop, which I think will become clear as we go. So here we go. Uh, Friends, this passage and many others, a few which I will read in just a moment, become the fodder for critiques of Scripture. They become the ammunition when people say that the Bible is patriarchal, archaic, oppressive, and outdated. And for good reason. That verse, which we just read, and others like it, 1 Timothy 2, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. 1 Corinthians 14, women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. 1 Corinthians 11, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. 1 Peter 3. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you love your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. That's all Bible. Like, I was quoting from the Bible. Uh, And so when people offer critiques that the Bible is patriarchal and outdated and archaic, 
How do you respond to that? Not to mention, it seems that there's a very clear endorsement of owning other human bodies, also known as slavery. Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eyes on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. Like sometimes when you look back at history, you might, you might think to yourself like, how on earth did we ever get to the place where we thought it was okay to own another human body? To which someone could just say, the Bible says so. Like we have people, Christian men in American history, on record using the Bible to defend and uphold slavery and the institution of slavery, which not only allowed for but promoted the owning of black bodies for forced labor and anything else that white people deemed appropriate. Friends, if we're going to be people of faith in the 21st century and be taken seriously, we had better figure out a way to read these texts so that it's actually good news for all the people who hear it, not just the boys in the room who... Right? Like, we have to be able to present and articulate a picture of God and Jesus that's not only compelling, but actually good news for all people. That's what the, that's what the, the, the angel said. Good news for all people. Not just some, all. So, I think as, as, as people of faith in like the 21st century, I want to I invite us to really think through, to think critically about how do we make sense of a passage like this? Like is, so in order for us to explore this this morning, I want to suggest we're going to need a couple of things. First and foremost, honesty. I think we have to be honest. We can't just sweep away the critiques and say, oh, that, no, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. That, that's not what it means. Like, we have to do better than that. We need to be intellectually honest with the critiques from outside of faith, from people who don't assume that the Bible's authoritative, who say, how can, you, how can you hear that and not think to yourself, are you kidding me? Like, we have to be honest. Intellectually, have to be honest with ourselves. A group of people and a, and a faith tradition that's willing to listen to the critique of, of others is better for it. In fact, the Bible, some would argue, is the only sacred book that has within it the critique of its own people. Did you notice that? The prophets are always criticizing and critiquing the good guys, the Israelites. So even within itself, it's critiquing and saying, listen, we got to be honest with what's happening here. You, I, you, you think I say I want that kind of a fast, but then when you do your worship and there are people who are left out and not eating, do you think that's what I want? Right? So it's critiquing itself. So we got to be honest, and I will just say, full disclosure, I have a vested interest in my conclusion. I, uh, I live with three daughters, and I live with a wife who is smart and intelligent and beautiful and strong. And so what I'm about to present to you as a way by which to read this, I have a very vested interest in, so I recognize that my conclusion may be influenced by what I long for and desire. I'll give you that. So we got to be honest. I'm trying to be. We got to have integrity. Hear me on this one, gang. I think sometimes if you listen to me, you might think I'm willing to sort of take what I want and leave what I don't. I would argue we cannot do that. You can't just take from Scripture what you like and leave out what you don't. It serves, like that's capitalism and consumerism, right? If it serves my interest, then I'll buy it, and if it doesn't, I won't. That's not, that's not integrity. That's not character, I would say either we submit ourselves to Jesus and scripture being authoritative, or we don't. We can't just pick and choose what we like and leave out what we don't. 
This is why how we read scripture and hermeneutics and the lens through which we begin with matters so much. So I want to say, let's take all of scripture. Let's keep it all. Let's not pick and choose, but let's figure out a way. Is there a way to read it where it's actually good news for people? I think there is. I really do, which is why I get so excited about this, right? So let's have honesty. Let's have integrity. And then lastly, I'm going to actually give you permission to use your imagination. Here's what I mean by that. In order to make sense of this passage and others like it, I'm going to suggest that you will need your imagination and your ability to see the trajectory of what Paul is saying. What's the telos? What's he saying and where is it headed? That's going to require you to use your imagination. We, we use our imagination based on what we know to be true of God, what was accomplished in Christ in the resurrection, and the spirit among us, right? We trust that, and we say, okay, then, what's the trajectory? Let's use our imaginations. Said differently, if Paul were to write a letter to us today at Awaken, would he say the same thing? Would he say, husbands, or wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives, Slaves, obey your masters. Would he say the same thing? Or would he say something different? And if he would say something different, then what would he say? Ah, that's what we're after. And you don't need your imagination if you freeze the text. By that I mean, the Bible says it, I believe it, that's enough. You don't need your imagination if you freeze the text. All you need is a lexicon to determine what did the words mean when they were used. But you're already not doing that because you're not wearing head coverings, ladies. And I heard some of you speaking earlier. <laughs> right? So we're already not doing that. We're already not freezing the text. We're already using our imagination. So let's keep going. Why stop now? And some people say, well, Micah, that's a slippery slope. To which I would just say, what's the alternative? Like, fundamentalism? Where it's just rigid, if it's in there, I believe it, but you actually don't. But you say you do, so you're not really being honest with yourself about what you're saying about yourself. So, uh. Uh, No, let's not do that. Let's, like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's use our imaginations. Let's, let's trust the spirit of, okay, let's trust the spirit of God that it's actually present and at work in the church. Let's trust that the scriptures are one of the ways by which God reveals God's self. Let's trust the tradition that we come from. Let's listen to the voices of the, the big C church. And let's go, people. Let's do it. Your imagination on your own, scary endeavor. Yeah, sure. But together, together, where we listen to each other and we hear the Spirit and we trust the Spirit, and it's right? Yes, let's do that. Int honesty, integrity, imagination. Okay, how are we going to do this? What are we going to say? I'm going to offer a statement and then three questions that will hopefully help you wonder, consider, how do we hear this? How do we interpret a passage like this? Here's the, here's the statement. First and foremost, patriarchy is the backdrop for the Bible. I'm going to let that sink in. The Bible is not a 21st century American Western book. It is an ancient book written in the modern-day Middle East. Think Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt. Like, these, this is not the hotbed of progressive thought in terms of male-female relationships, even today. So imagine 2,000 years ago, right? 
patriarchy and systems of hierarchy or hierarchies of power is the backdrop for the Bible. It's the air that they breathed. It was normal and natural. Everybody participated whether they wanted to or not. It was the default. I'm going to read a couple of people that you will know the names of who are contemporaries of the ancient world and of Paul, and you'll see what they say about male and female relationships. These people are, uh, I would say, an example of what's normal and natural in Paul's time when he was writing this to the Colossians, okay? First is Aristotle. He writes this. He's talking about the three most basic relationships that, that sort of cover the world that you live in. Ironically enough, husbands and wives, women and, or children and parents, slaves and masters. So he's saying these are the three most basic relationships of the ancient world, and of course that's what Paul references as well. Here's what he says. In each relation, there is one who rules and one who is subservient. It will go well if those hierarchies are protected and enabled. Aristotle. He goes on, if that's not bad enough, regarding gender, he says specifically, as between the male and female, the former is by nature superior and ruler, the latter inferior and subject. I mean, you can't say it any more clearly. <laughs> Men are superior, women are inferior. That's what he's saying. Okay? Plato. You all remember Plato? Not that you played with, but that you read about in philosophy class. He's talking about some people who aren't paying attention to how, um, like what rules govern women. And he says this. Some people, their laws don't speak to women at all. This is a problem, that you would not try to regulate this secretive and crafty sex. Because of its weakness, it should never left never be left unregulated. You see, leaving women to do what they like is not just to lose half the battle, as it would seem. A woman's natural potential for virtue is inferior to a man's, and she is proportionately a greater danger, perhaps even twice as great. <laughs> Philo of Alexandria. He's a, he's a first century contemporary of Paul. All right? He comments on scripture often. Here he's commenting on Genesis. Why was the man made first, and what does it mean that the woman was made out of the rib of the man? First, this had to be the case so that the woman would not be of equal dignity with the man. Secondly, so she wouldn't be in the same age, because anyone who marries an older woman deserves great blame. Third, the design of God was that the husband should take care of his wife as part of himself, and the woman should return him with service. The man himself, delighting in his master-like authority, is to be respected for his pride, but the woman, being the rank of a servant, is praised because she agrees to live in communion. Philo, again, responding to 1 Timothy and the woman being deceived in the garden. Why did the serpent accost the woman and not the man? Because the serpent, having formed his estimate of virtue, devised a treacherous stratagem against them. The woman was more accustomed to being deceived than the man. For the man's counsels, as well as his body, are of a masculine sort and can disentangle the notions of seduction. But the mind of a woman is more effeminate, so that through her softness, she, is easily, she easily yields and is caught by the persuasions of falsehood. I could keep going. They are legion. There are so many of these kinds of quotes. Why do I, keep, why do I bring it up? My point is this. These are a few select readings of Paul's contemporaries to show you like the cultural norms in which the Bible was written. 
The backdrop for the Bible is patriarchy and hierarchies of power, where men hold all the cards. That's not good news to a lot of people in the room. Implicit in the New Testament and explicit in the word Paul in the world that Paul is writing to is that each of these pairs of relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters, that there is someone who is superior and there is someone who is inferior. Therefore, something is wrong or devalued or debasing insofar as it undermines these hierarchies. Said differently, if someone who is inferior is in a position or role of superiority, it is debasing and devaluing to the one who is superior, culturally. This is the world of the Bible. We shouldn't be surprised when we find this in Scripture, where we find patriarchy and hierarchies where men hold all the cards. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a man, like, I'm not, we're not going like, to spend the day bashing you, uh, but I want to just paint the picture of like, where this comes from. All right? Now, I have to ask a question, and this is, where, this is where we get serious. Is a softer and kinder version of patriarchy and slavery normative? By that I mean, is this the center of God's vision for human relations? Like a kinder, gentler, more palatable version of patriarchy. Is that the aim? Is that the telos? Is that where we're headed? Paul, I mean, you have to be honest, right? Paul's version of hierarchy and slavery in Colossians, it's a step in the right direction. Like he says, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives. Parents, fathers, don't exasperate your children, Right? Uh, masters, be kind to your slaves. This is a huge step in the right direction, according to culture. But is this as good as it gets? Like, is that the aim? Is this what God intended when God made humanity, put us in a garden and said, be fruitful and multiply, flourish, be whole? Where hierarchies and power were normal. And the key word, normative, Right? Anytime we find patriarchy and hierarchies of power in Paul, we have to ask the question, is that normal? Is that normative? Is that the new norm? Is that the goal? Is that what we aspire to and that which we're aiming at? I will show all of my cards in this moment. I will say with strength and vigor, no. And, but, time out, time out, pause. At any point during this teaching, if, if you feel like the desire to say amen or I agree or go on, Micah, you just feel free to say that, okay? Because I feel like I'm preaching to a very skeptical audience here, and I'm not sure why, but okay. So, time in. Game on. Um, I'll say no. Like, no, no, no. That is not the aim. Uh, uh, Jesus did not die on a cross and set us free for a kinder and more gentle version of patriarchy. Like, I don't think that's true. Where men still have all the power. Thank you. And, 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 and where we can own other human bodies. Like, that's just not what we're, like, that's not where it's headed. So it begs the question, what is the vision? If that's not it, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead to set us free to, like, a better version of patriarchy and these structures where one is subjugated to another, then what is? This is a very, very deep and wide conversation. There's a lot of scholarship and research I'm leaving out. I'm going to just highlight three points along the way for the sake of time and brevity. Number one, Genesis chapter one. 
Genesis 1 and 2, arguably, presents a picture that is different than what's presented after Genesis 3, which is often known as the fall in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve eat the apple, sin enters the world, they get banished from the garden. From that point on, you get introduced to powers and, and hierarchies and patriarchy. I would suggest we don't build theologies out of the fall. So when you think about Genesis 1 and 2, what do you read? What's the tone? Well, here it is. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. There is a cooperative, collective, male and female charge uh, uh, invitation to humans to rule and subdue, to be viceroys, to be governors, to be caretakers of God's good world. Not just men, but both male and female. The charge goes to both. So when Eve was created... She's called the Ezer Konegdo, to Adam. That often gets translated the helper or helpmate. Terrible translation. Inadequate. It's like power equal unto. If you imagine this roof structure like a picture of male and female, right down the center is a ridge beam, and you have two beams that come up and support the ridge beam. They hit the ridge beam. And if either one of them is more powerful than the other, guess what happens? The whole roof structure falls. Adam and Eve are powers equal unto one another that support this thing called the house of humanity. They both bring who they are, the gifts that they have inherent to their masculinity and their femininity. They bring all of themselves, and they are equal partners in the task and the job of being caretakers of God's good world. That's the vision, people. That's where it starts, and if you look at Gen Revelation, that's where it's headed. Now let's talk about Jesus. In John chapter 18, Jesus is asked, what kind of kingdom are you bringing? Pilate says to him, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, which is to say what I'm up to, what I'm fitting to do coming out the grave is I'm going to establish, inaugurate, start something that looks nothing like the broken systems that you have in your world now. In fact, it will go beyond that. It will, it will, it, when he's asked about marriage in Matthew 22, the, the Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus and Jesus says, um, as at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage to the ladies in the room you won't be given away like a piece of property for a price. No, no, no. Like the kingdom is a whole different set of relationships where gender looks, it operates differently in the kingdom where we are going back to what God created us to be. Powers equal unto one another. Co-laborers, equality and mutuality. Submission one to another. Hallelujah. And then Paul in Galatians chapter 3, Paul in Galatians chapter 3, I would submit to you that this is the pinnacle of Paul's theology on male and female relationships. And anything that says differently than that, like this is the trump card, no pun intended. Paul says in Galatians 3, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. We've just spent like three weeks on that. There is neither, get it, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, 
male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Good news, hallelujah, set me free, baby Jesus. So how do we read Paul when he says, women, submit to your husbands. Don't speak in church. Put head coverings on your heads. When this, I'm arguing, is the pinnacle, the clarion call, the sort of, the, 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 the theology above it all. When he says, this is where it's headed. How do we read it? Last question. What's the progressive and radical and life-giving word of Colossians 3 for men and women, children and for slaves? This is where we need our imaginations. If we know where the story begins in a garden with men and women in, in equal relationships with one another, with God and with each other in the world we live in, if we know that Jesus comes to bring a kingdom that's not like this world, where systems and hierarchies of power are the norm or the best that we can do, but something further than that, something beyond that, and if we know that Paul gives us a vision consistent with Jesus in Galatians 3, BT dubs, when he says neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, these are the three most common ways in the ancient world you would differentiate yourself from another human being to create systems of hierarchy and power. So Paul takes the three most common ways that humans in their day would differentiate and create structures that look like this. He takes them and he obliterates them to say what? We are all one in Christ. We are one whole family of humanity who bring gifts each of us, to be used fully for the goodness of God's creation. If we can see that, that progression, Genesis and Jesus and Paul, then I would suggest we can begin to see Paul's words for what they are. A radical and progressive challenge to the ways in which the world divided itself. The seeds of a kingdom coming but not yet arrived. Where we're all one in Christ, that's where it's headed, and what we see in Paul is a seed that's planted that, as it grows, becomes this vision of human relationships. We're not there yet. It's just an infant. It's just a baby. Imagine if you were to go into the Taliban, or you were to go into, uh, like, Sharia law, where, quite clearly and unfortunately, the, the, the systems and structures and the relationships between men and women are patriarchal, and they are hierarchies of power. If you were to go into those systems and, you were, and people were to come to faith in Christ and you were to like, share with them the radical news that you are free in Christ. You are, you are you're, you're set free. You are equal. You are to be one in Christ, neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. You said, like, go live it out. Very likely people would be harmed. Right? Like, women would lose their lives. And they do. Like, in 2019... Is it possible that what Paul says is, here's the resurrection, here's the vision, we are on the way, but for the sake of your safety, women, ask your husbands when you get home, which is an assumption that they're learning, which no woman would do in that age. Why? Because they don't need to. Why? Because they're just good for sex and childbearing. Do you see what he's done there? He's assuming that the people of God, the newly, the freed women of Christ are learning. And he says, listen, I affirm your learning, but for the sake of your own safety, maybe don't speak it up in church while you're all gathered publicly, but ask your husband when you get home. Is it possible that Paul's message is actually quite radical? 
Husbands, love your wives. Don't treat them as property, which is good for only sex and whatever cleaning needs done. No, love them as Christ loved the church. Lay down your life for them as Christ loves the church. That's a radical bomb in his day. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Be kind to them. Slaves, go away. Slaves and masters, like, do that thing differently where you're kind to your slaves. And slaves, like, do your work as unto the Lord because it matters. Like, what you do, it's not some... It's not to only be seen as a, a, an oppressive, un unfortunate reality, but you can like live in your situation, as bad as it may be, in a way that is honorable to the Christ that you follow and serve. So what he's doing is actually quite mind-blowing. But it doesn't go all the way, does it? It stops. Why? Well, it was written 2,000 years ago, friends. So if Paul were to write the letter today to you and I, would he say the same thing? I would argue Absolutely not. No. He would say something like, in 2019, people, men in the room, if you are not advocating for and being door openers for the women among you and the, the, the sisters around you, get it together, people. You have been given privilege and power. Use it like Christ used his privilege and power. Work for demolishing systems of hierarchy that people get subjugated and oppressed in, whatever they look like, whether they be based on sex and gender or color of skin. I think Paul would say, this is where we're headed, people. We're going beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> Sorry, that's a liar, liar reference that nobody got, but it's such a great moment in that movie. Like, we are going, it, it, this is where we're headed. So be working like, practice now for what will be. That's what the church is doing. We're like, it's a dress rehearsal for the great show. We are, where we are one in Christ, where there is equality and mutuality and respect for one another, where, where men and women can bring all of themselves. So to the women in the room, I say to you, whatever your gifts are, use them. We need them. We celebrate them. We believe God's given them to you. To the men in the room, I would say, use your gifts. We believe, we celebrate them. We want, the church needs them. The world needs them. All of them. I think I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. I recognize, and I think it's important to say this um, on a day like today, that like a lot of times this office, um, usually a pulpit, in our case a music stand, is seen as the last word, and we just don't see it that way. So this is the first word. I cannot follow a Jesus and read this text and take it seriously if I can't figure out a way to, th to think through what was the good news for those people when they heard that word. There has to be a way to read it where it is good news. And I would say, let's not stop. Let's keep going. Otherwise, I just can't be a Christian. Right? Like, maybe you're here this morning and you've read some of these and you're just like, I, I can't do it. Like, I that to me seems really, really uh, archaic and outdated and patriarchal and, and oppressive. And, and if you read it at face value... I think that that's a fair critique, but I just am so convinced that there is another way to read this. 
that is good news for anyone who hears it. Pray with me. God, as we take a few moments to um, quiet our hearts, slow down, I pray uh, anything that I've said that is just not true or that is inaccurate, um, do what you do in, in, insofar as people hear what you need them to hear. And if there is anything that needs to be erased, like I just entrust you to do that, to just help people forget it. But whatever is true, whatever remains, whatever is wise and, and, and connected to your vision and your hopes and your dreams for us, oh, God, make it grow. Help it grow in us so that we can be people who are practicing right now for the world that you have died and resurrected to ensure. One where there is no, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, where Christ is all and Christ is in all. And we are one. To that end, we pray. So Holy Spirit, do what you need to do in these few moments, I pray. As we lay down whatever weapons we have used or have been used against us, and we open up our hearts, God, let love break us and let it, let it remake us. Collectively, like, can we together say yes to being these kinds of people in the world as the followers of Jesus? Or we say that in whatever ways we've participated in that, we repent, we turn around, we go a different direction. And we say yes to the vision Jesus gives and that Paul affirms that says, we're one in Christ. There is no difference, male or female. These structures that says there is, we're not playing by those rules anymore. We're practicing for something else that will be on the other side of resurrection. I think that's good news. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've been on either side of that, then I hope that what you hear is affirming and, and a message of freedom or maybe a, a call to repentance and confession to say, you know what, I, God, I'm awake. I'm seeing it for the first time maybe. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's why we started the church. That's why we named it what we did because that would happen over and over and over for the first time and for the thousandth time. God, wake us up. Help us to see. So to the church that I'm honored to be the pastor of and honored to help lead and guide and shape, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord's face, the Lord's countenance lifted up to you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. I love you. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.